Welcome to Role Breakers. I am Anya Alvarez and I'm with my co-host Adele Jackson Gibson. Hey guys. So who did you talk with? So I spoke with uh, Peggy Lou Allen who became the first woman of color to win a professional motorsports event in the NHRA. So that includes drag racing, which is her specialty, and she won that in 2007. She's also Mexican and Jamaican, and I'm half Jamaican. So and I'm I w- half Mexican. And she's half Mexican, so this was the perfect, perfect person to interview for this episode. All right, well, let's, let's get to it. <laughs> Welcome to Rule Breakers. Today we have on the podcast Peggy Lou Ellen. She is a pro stock motorcyclist from San Antonio. Um, she's Mexican and Jamaican, which I think is an awesome combo. I'm half Jamaican. Um, first woman of color to win a professional motorsports event. Uh, once you, you won the um, NHRA Powerade Dallas event in 2007, right? Yes. Yeah. And you're just overall a badass. I mean, you're honored by the Women's Sports Foundation for all of your achievements. Um, You're involved in Go Girl Go, which is, you know, encouraging young girls to get involved in motorcycle racing and other forms of physical fitness. And you also support Divas for a Cure. Um, So anyway, I'm excited to have Peggy on the podcast. So welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. I mean, generally, I'm just like wowed by the fact that you love motorsports because I'm kind of definitely afraid of motorsports. Um, I don't know, you just grow up and generally, you know, the dad wants a bike and the mom's like, no, it's too dangerous, you'll get hurt. And so I watched my parents have that interaction and I grew up thinking that motorsports (laughs) are dangerous, therefore I will not do it. Um, So is my fear rational or, or what? Well, it, it can be, I know. And you know what? My uh, mom and dad had that same argument, but you know, my dad ended up winning, (laughs) (laughs) but but it was that it wasn't so much that it was dangerous. My mom was like, but I want to dress her up and do her hair. And, you know, I want her to be the cutesy little girl. And I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) I, I can totally I can, relate. Yeah, I and there was actually one story where she had a um I had she put this necklace on and earrings and we were gonna go to the store and pick out dresses and we got to the shop and I got on a motorcycle and <laughs> you know, just started riding and she's like, What are you doing? You're gonna mess up your hair. I'm like I said, Well, can you take this necklace off and the earrings? Because I can't wear my helmet anyway. And she was like, oh, no. My dad's like, just let her be. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. And, you know, eventually she learned she was okay with it. But, you know, in the beginning, she she also thought, too, it was dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing, like, as you just kept riding, I mean, did you ever have a fear of it or did you ever get scared? Like, have you ever crashed or anything like that that would make you feel like, ooh, like – this is a really no. wild sport. No, no, I had close calls even when I was younger. Um, but I did have a situation when I was racing in HRA and, um, and 
I went through the shutdown after, uh, I think the pass, that pass was like 193 and I had no breaks. And um, there's a um, course that you take um, and they, they teach you like the basics of pro stock motorcycle. And I remember the, the um, uh, instructor was like, no, whenever, whenever that happens and, you know, you can't panic, you know, you just let the clutch go and it'll, this is motorcycle terms, it'll drag the motor down and slow you down enough, you know, to where, you know, you either go into the sand trap or, you know, thank goodness this particular racetrack had a long shutdown and I just went into the rocks and nothing happened, thank God. <laughs> oh, man. So what, but, uh, you were out of control? Like what exactly happened on the bike? Well, and there were, there were some instances before um, when I was doing my burnout and it kept on like that last um, pass before that happened, it kind of like pulled me through and I'm like, what happened? Well, um, something, and we don't know, something pinched the brake line so it didn't have any brake fluid. Oh, wow. So that hints, no brakes. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, motorsports are interesting because you're like, have to pay attention to what right. your body is doing, but also like the machine, you're dependent on that what as well. What the machine's doing. Exactly. And, and that help, it's just doing runs, you know, um, a lot of runs and then being familiar with the motorcycles, you know, throughout my whole life that has helped me even, you know, I, I don't street ride a lot because I, I, I think it's dangerous, but, um, it, it helps you to understand, you know, when the bike is doing something or, you know, the, you know, the people around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're <laughs> talking about before we even started recording how it, you think, uh, street racing is more dangerous because traffic, like the cars mm -hmm. can't really see you. Right. Exactly. Um, and I remember taking a, um, um, for my motorcycle license, because I had did a, a, um, a couple of uh, breast cancer um, runs. So we would go on the motorcycle and actually get on the highway. So I had to get licensed for this and um, my motorcycle license. And that was one of, um, they always emphasize it's always the intersection that's the most dangerous for a motorcycle, you know, mm. and, and just, you know, you have to always, you know, be more aware because the cars aren't aware of you. They, they don't see you at all. You're just, you know, invisible. So I do consider it more dangerous. And then, you know, even um, street racing, I'm like, how are you going to race with a bunch of cars around you? I, I don't understand that. There's tracks everywhere, you know, in and around San Antonio that will let you just race and it's a controlled environment and, you know, you're not going to not only endanger, endanger yourself, but other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. not for me. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not even for me. like a moped? Uh, I've thought about that. They look yeah. really cute. I, yeah. I might, you know, move to like Brazil or something and buy myself one. Ooh, that'd be I nice. know. Right. Um, but for another time, um, <laughs> let's, I'm curious about, because I know your childhood was a little unique in the sense that like you kind of grew up around racetracks, right? Can you talk about mm -hmm. like your family dynamic and like 
some of your fondest memories from childhood and your relationship with your father? Um, well, from my childhood, our, um, our family get-togethers and outings were always at a racetrack. That's, I, I remember that every Friday night, Saturday night, we were packing up. And at first, my father used to race um, cars. He used to have a Mustang. And speaking of street racing, um, he would do that. <laughs> I'm sure in this day and age now, if uh, parents were street racing with their children, they get thrown in jail. <laughs> but we were yep. out, you know, <laughs> we were racing. He had a Ford Mustang Mach 1. And um, that had got too expensive. So that's when he had, a, um, he built a motorcycle. And plus he had his shop, a motorcycle shop. So uh, um, we were always at the racetrack. And, you know, after my dad would... Um, race then you know it was me and my brother who um you know we could go make our runs like my dad did um and there was this track in san antonio um right outside of san antonio called um alamo dragway so we'd see you know shirley muldowney was always you know making guest appearances there so um don garlics um we'd have like jet cars so you know that it was always the racetrack. That's where, you know, um, that's where I was, that's where we spent, that was family time. And, uh, um, just, um, and if, if it wasn't at the, at the racetrack, then I was always at my dad's shop or else, you know, at, at home, I even had a motorcycle that, you know, all the other little kids were riding their bicycles, you know, up and down the sidewalk. I'm on my motorcycle, me and my brother. <laughs> so childhood was always around motorcycles. That's dope. That's really cool. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I find this interesting because um, you were so exposed to that sport and eventually you became a professional in it. But I read somewhere that you didn't really believe that you could actually be on the track competing. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering um, what clicked for you, what changed, did somebody encourage you? Like, how did that happen? You know, I had, uh, um, I had got away from racing for a couple of years, and then my brother, my younger brother stayed in, and him and um, my dad were traveling in and around um Texas going to different uh, race sanctions. So I, you know, slowly, you know, got involved again. And, um, you know, I eventually talked my dad into building me a drag bike, but he, I, he didn't just say, oh, I'm going to build, you know, Peggy a drag bike. No, I had to use my own money because he didn't want me to, you know, abandon the project like Midway and say, oh, you know what? I was just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and so, so in the process of building this this bike to race, you know, with my brother, um, I remember asking my brother, I'm like, do any women race like NHRA? And this was back like in '95, and he was like, no. And I'm like, could there ever be? And he's like, mm, I don't think so. But you know, and then in '96, there's three women who uh, came out to qualify. And at that time, you know, I told my dad, I'm like, that's what I want to do. And, you know, he was all for it. He never, that's something that, you know, my dad always encouraged me was to pursue my dreams. 
And, uh, um, you know, again, like when I was building uh, my uh, race bike, he, you know, told me like the, you know, the ins and outs, finances and everything. And, um, um, you know, I, I went from there and just um, uh, went to the school. I, I went to the school to learn how to, you know, race the pro stock motorcycles and just started, you know, um, finding my way to an NHRA team so I could, you know, race professionally. So it, it always hasn't been an easy road, but it's something that, you know, um, that I wanted to do. And so that's why I continue to pursue it. And, mm. uh, um, you know, even though, like, um, I haven't been on the racetrack, I'm, I'm still working towards that goal because there's still things that I do want to accomplish. You know, I, I would like to win a championship. I like to break the 200-mile-an-hour barrier. You know, wow. I know it's been broken, but n none of the women in the class have broken it yet. Maybe I can do be another first. <laughs> wow. That's impressive. How old are you again, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 45. You're 45. Okay, uh -huh. yeah. Plenty plenty of gas left in the tank, to use a plenty. horrible metaphor. Okay. It just came out of me. <laughs> Naturally. Not intentional. Um, <laughs> but... You like that one. Good. Um, I do. So, <laughs> uh, so you've talked a little bit about the finances, and I think something mm -hmm. that's also unique about motorsports is you kind of have to manage your own business in the sense that, you know, you have to buy – I'm guessing you have to buy parts, repairs, like, mm -hmm. you know, um, all that stuff. Can you talk about, like, some of the challenges um, and some of the things you have to be aware of when you get into a sport like this? You know, going back to when I built my own – a motorcycle it's kind of in 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 hindsight you know my dad knew what he was doing and trying to teach me from the ground up you know um running my own team having my own equipment um that's one thing that um in this sport it, it's it's better to have your own equipment hmm. um and that's one of the things um you know if you um you can either, you know, bring money to a team um, or have your own equipment and looking for the funding. So there are different ways um, um, to manage, but I, I think it's best to have, you know, your own equipment and know what's going into your, to your motorcycle, how you want to run your team, you know, where the money's going, you know. Um, I think that's very important, um, you know, to be successful and and just, you know, do well and understand that it, it is a business. Um, I've seen um, in our sport where, you know, you can you either bring the money to the team or you don't have a ride. And that's, you know, one of the things that I have found that has kept me on and off, you know, out of, you know, the NHRA. Right. And when you say, like, bring the money to the team, do you mean, like, you the know, funding. getting some outside mm -hmm. funding? Or do you mean, like, winning mm -hmm. events? Is it a combination of both? or It's a combination of both because sometimes you can, you know, depending on how a contract is set up or 
whatnot, they can, you know, take the winnings or that's how they pay you is you get a percentage of the winnings. So there is, you know, a, a business side that you do have to understand, you know, that way you don't get taken advantage of. Did you find when you started out that it was more challenging as a woman to navigate that? Um, because there had been women before me, there was um, maybe the the challenge was um, not navigating through like the competition, but maybe, you know, contracts and whatnot and, and understanding those because... Um, you you always at the end of the day you have to you know protect yourself because you are your own asset and uh, um you know it it might be different um you know teams might look at teams look at riders like just that they're hired riders they're disposable i guess <laughs> mm. yeah so, you got to look yeah. out for yourself mhm mm i see well, I mean, clearly you succeeded in that very well um, to be able yeah. to be the first <laughs> woman of color uh, <laughs> to win that event in 2007. And um, I I feel like every time I see or read the words first to do X, uh, the person who is, you know, the person who achieved that uh, accolade has varying feelings about it. Like I was wondering when you achieved that, um, did you celebrate it? Did you feel confused about what that responsibility meant for you? Um, sometimes people don't want to be the first. They just want to be good. You know what I mean? Like, well, how, how did you handle it? Yeah. And, you know, it's taken, and this is embarrassing to say, but it's taken me just, you know, 10 years to realize, oh, what I, I did this. Okay. Because at first I didn't, it's not like I didn't understand it. I think I was just like, I just wanted, I was just out there to win and I wanted to win more. And then that was it. And then to have, um, to know that I was a first, it was like, whoa, this is even bigger than me. And now I'm starting to understand it more to where it's like, well, it is my responsibility that I'm not, you know, um, okay, I was the first, but I don't want to be the only one. You know, what if there's other um, little girls out there of, of color and whatnot that want to pursue this? And maybe not racing, but maybe they want to own the team. Maybe they want to um, be the, the, the crew chief and tune the bike, you know? So I've, I've um, now I'm starting to understand it to where it's like, okay, I'm going to do more. Um, because it is my responsibility, even though if, you know, I, I, I didn't know about, didn't know about it then I know now and I understand it and I have to do something about it. Yeah. I mean, you also, uh, you owned your own team, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you recruit women at all? Or I don't know, how did you, uh, manage that team? Well, it was the team that I had when I was racing locally, so it was just me. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so, and I ended up, um, actually, in hindsight, <laughs> I ended up selling that bike that I had built and, and owned so I can pursue NHRA and go oh. to the course. And, yeah, so I ended up um, being a hired driver 
after that or hired a writer. I know moving forward, I'd like to own my own uh, NHRA team again, and I've been trying to work on that, and and um, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I wanted to um, also talk about, um, you know, we talked about first woman of color, and, you know, the phrase woman of color is kind of vague, and it actually kind of like mutes uh, in a way uh, all of the heritage that you got going on there with the Mexican mm-hmm. and Jamaican <laughs> descent going on. And I'm wondering yeah. if you could talk about like how that cultural heritage for you kind of showed up in your life. Like if I were to give an example, like I have memories of like growing up and driving it. My dad liked to race kind of too, um, in his Porsche and he, he hooked it up with these big, you know, subwoofer speakers and would play dance hall until it broke, essentially. <laughs> and so that's like in my, that's how I related to my culture. Um, I grew up in mostly white spaces, so I kind of have a different uh, sense of how I identified with it. But I'm wondering as a Mexican, Jamaican, American mm. growing up in Texas, like how did your culture shape you and color your life? Golly, how did it shape me? Hmm. I think Golly. Or like if I were to rephrase it, like how did you connect with your culture? How did your your parents bring your their culture into your family life or you know, your life? Well, because I had grew up on, um, mostly with like my mom's family, because my dad's family, they remained in Jamaica. So um, it was mostly like with my mom's side of the family. And they were, a lot of them were like into cars mainly and not so much motorcycles but they love coming out to the track (laughs) like I had an uncle that wasn't into so much the motorcycles more than he was like into um like the classic cars and the low riders but they would always you know they come out you know their car club to come watch you know my dad race I do remember that being small so it'd be his car clubs and, and the low riders and whatnot. And they'd all line up and, you know, they'd come see my dad race. Um, I guess the, 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 what I got from that was, you know, it was, it was family. That, that was family get togethers. That's how, you know, we connected. If we didn't have anything in common, it was what we had in common was, you know, the the racetrack. Yeah. So the sport bringing bringing everybody mm-hmm. together, bringing everyone yeah. together, even though, you know, they didn't have, you know, like I said, the interest in the motorcycles and whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, it, it would bring them all together. Um, I know that back in um, Jamaica, my um my grandfather was the one who was the into mechanics and whatnot. And that's where my dad um, had picked that, you know, his skill up from, but they weren't really, you know, um, 
you know, whenever we'd go visit them, it wasn't like we talked about, oh, racing or whatnot. So it was mostly like on my mom's side of the family, the Mexican side of the family. Did you grow up eating more Jamaican food? Did you grow up eating more Mexican food? More Mexican food. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. More Mexican uh -huh. food and the music. Um, now, my dad would cook, you know, Jamaican food every now and then, but he even loved, you know, more of uh, the Mexican food himself. <laughs> do you speak Spanish? I do. That was my first language. Um, oh, okay. It was it, up until I was three um, because I lived with my grandmother. Um, and uh, there's a story in, that my dad always tells people because we were always, I'm, I'm close with my dad. I was always with my dad. Um, so there's this one um, um, time that um, he was saying that we were in a bank and um, he goes, you, there was a little boy who had a balloon and he goes, and you run up to him. And I, I think he said I was like two or three and, um, um, in Spanish, to say, like, blow up the balloon, you say, soplale. Mm -hmm. And and so I run up to this kid, and I'm telling him, soplale, soplale, his balloon. And he's like, what? <laughs> he goes, and my dad's all, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, what did you do? So he goes, you're loud in this bank saying, soplale, soplale. And he goes, um, everyone's all looking around, like, who's kid is this she didn't look like anybody in here and he goes that uh, um he goes that finally um he got my attention so he called me back and he goes everyone's looking he goes all the eyes were on me like oh <laughs> that's your child <laughs> so yeah. to answer your question yes I speak Spanish <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you do you identify as Afro-Latina? I always said black. <laughs> you always said black. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I only bring it up because there's a lot more discussion around the Afro-Latina, Afro-Latino yeah. identity. And I was wondering what your perspective of that was. I had always, you know, just put black in whatever, you know. But, you know, if there was ever like a... Uh, a choice or whatnot. And um, I remember my mom was like, well, your dad didn't do this all by himself. I'm like, okay. So I always put <laughs> other. <laughs> <laughs> so then, you know, at, and it had been like that for a while. And then now I noticed that they are, I had read, and this was a couple of years ago that they were going to make, um, on the next census that they were going to have Caribbeans now, because now, we're like, um, yeah, like Caribbean American. And I'm like, oh, okay. So now I have, you know, uh, a box that I can check that that's actually, you know, my heritage. <laughs> so yeah, I've always, I, I always had other because it encompasses everything. Yeah, I, I've always felt like um, the term black in America just me like tries to As capture so many different experiences. Many. <laughs> yeah. And it's like really doesn't say anything because it's just so broad. Broad. Um, exactly. And there's so many people who 
move to this country and do not identify as black because of what black means here yeah. and all that stuff. And it's just like a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we're starting to talk more about the different experiences of exactly. what it means to be in the African diaspora. Um, mm-hmm. Like my experience as a Jamaican Guyanese woman born in Buffalo, New York is much different than yours. <laughs> you clearly right? like motorcycles. I don't. <laughs> That has nothing to do with race. <laughs> yeah, but and, and yeah, I was curious uh, about that. It, yeah, you mentioned it. And I, I know um, a couple of years ago I was doing an interview and someone asked me, they were like, so how did your dad being from Jamaica, how did he wind up in San Antonio, Texas? And I'm like, I don't. And I said, you know what? I don't really know. I must ask him that one day. And he, I, I had asked him, I'm like, how did you end up in San Antonio? He's like, I don't, he came here in 67. And um, he said, I, we just, you know, we're looking to come to the States. And he goes, we just chose Texas. I'm like, hmm, that's, that's odd, but okay. <laughs> I said, so next time <laughs> I'm going to ask that question. <laughs> and he, he, he said that when he was, when he moved to San Antonio, he thought, Oh, that, you know, Mexican people. He goes, I thought there were Chinese. I didn't know what Mexican people were. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, boy. I know. <laughs> You're your father under the bus there. Yeah. <laughs> I That's know. okay. We, lo- we love our dads. <laughs> yes, yes. So next year in 2019, I don't know if you've heard about, have you heard of the W series that's popping up um, in, F- mm. in the F1 culture? No. Well, um, apparently no, there's this. Me. Yeah, let me tell you. There's this new um, women's series um, that's kind of like a division separate from F1 racing um, that they're trying oh. to start in 2019. That you know they just want women racing in it, and it's you know a, a funded championship. They're going to be six like 30 minute races. Prize money is about uh, 1.5 million dollars. Um, and they, it's been being started by two men who think that they're doing something that's good for women. Um, but there's a lot of people who are have, you know, mixed reviews about it. There's some women who are like, oh, yes, an opportunity for us to, like, shine in our own arena. But then some people are like, no, we want to race with the best of the best. Right. Um, I know I would. That'd be yeah. like if NHRA, you know – they were like, oh, we're going to have a division that's part of NHRA, but it's just all women. Oh, that just, I think I'm uh, more with, um, I want to race with the best of the best. <laughs> I have raced yeah. with the best of the best. Yeah, it just, there's no need for, you, you're trying to, um, I mean, I, I I don't know what the, the, idea behind that is (laughs) i guess from what i've been reading it's been more about like there have been women who've struggled you know based on you know a bunch of reasons like finding support and then funding to get into you know f1 um Hmm. and be get it into enough races to be competitive um and so this is what i've been reading from the people who starting it just like you know giving women an opportunity to have uh, more of a chance to compete, um, increase participation, like get more women interested in it, in the sport. Um, I can see why that 
would be mm. positive, but I also can see the other argument of like, you know, like I want to be with the best racers who've been racing for years and improve my stuff. Like that makes a lot of sense. Um, right. So why don't they take the money that they're creating these series with and hire two women, you know, get a team to race F1 that they can compete and have the best equipment and everything instead of trying to create something totally different. There we go. Peggy's solving problems left and right. <laughs> left and right. <laughs> left and right. And they'll be oh. the ones that had the vision. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. I, part of me like got really excited about it, but then I was, was like seeing all the other counter arguments. Yeah. I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. Um, I, I want to know though, cause I don't race. Like, mm -hmm. is there much, cause the reason primarily why we've separated sports by gender is because of the physical, uh, differences between men and women, which sometimes mm -hmm. is legitimate and sometimes not. Mm -hmm. How how are the differences how do the differences play into racing motorcycles, for example? I don't we were not gonna talk about F one or anything like that, but mm -hmm. like your With sport motorcycle. in particular. Yeah. Um well um it used to okay, so um when those three women, out of the three women that came out in 1996, there was, um, uh, George Bryce had hired this, um, her name's um, Angel, Angel Sampe, and um, she had, um, you know, no women had ever raced. They, you know, and that that was the, the um, not that they weren't able to, it's that no one had ever raced in pro stock motorcycle that was female. So, you know, here's George and, um, he hires this, um, he hires Angel and Angel weighed, I think 97 pounds, 95 pounds. Wow. And, um, you know, everyone's like, how are you going to put this little old, you know, she didn't weigh nothing and put her on a motorcycle and that motorcycle is going to ride her. It's going to be all over the place, but he figured out, okay, she's light. Um, you know, the bike at, uh, that time, I think they had to weigh like 620 or 595, you know, with bike and rider, he figured out where to put the weight. So that became an advantage to where, um, you have a light rider and so the bikes can go fast. So that's an advantage of being small. And now, and then all of a sudden you saw these other riders that were kind of, you know, they, you know, they were all trying to lose weight so they could you know, be lighter on the motorcycle. So it, it does have its advantages. Um, the only thing that, you know, with the bike being so heavy, a smaller rider, you know, and I encountered this, you know, a couple of times where the, if the bike gets out of shape, it's not easy to, you know, get it back in the groove, you know, mm. but as far as, uh, it being physical, it's more mental than it is, you know, I'll say that it's, you know, 90% mental and 10% physical. That's how, you know, smaller riders and women were able to, you know, um, race pro stock motorcycle. Mentally, like, what do you mm -hmm. have to pay attention to then? Like, what are you concentrating on? Um, well, when um, I'm, 
because George, he also ended up being my riding coach. And he was also the teacher at the, uh, he did a pro stock motorcycle class in Gainesville. And he always would make me each race that we'd go to, we would uh, walk the track. Um, he'd have me pick a target, one in the left lane, one in the right lane, and just, you know, focus, you know, on that target as we're walking the track. He goes, you don't need to look left or right. You just need to look at that target. And then another thing that he had um, um, taught me was um, how to do mental runs. Like actually, he'd have me write down, you know, what I'm going to do. You know, like I will put my bike in third gear. I will back up, I, you know, step by step of how you're going to do your run and then just practice that. And I, you know, sit for, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes before each run. Because um, he said, once, you know, you're on the motorcycle, you're doing, you already did those mental runs. Your mind does not know that you're not actually on the bike. So, you know, in essence, when you get on the motorcycle, you, you're on autopilot because it's like you've done this before mentally. So he, he was uh, very good at that. And that did help me, you know, with nerves and, you know, just keeping me, you know, focused, you know, with each run. Got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you were telling me about, you know, going to the gym and working out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what, what kind of exercises do you do to keep in shape for your sport? I do a lot of... Uh, mix like cardio and strength training like with my core because um those bikes like off the line they're three g's so it, it's a lot of force off the line so you have to be able mm. to hang on and then you know just maneuver the bike um should you have to like like i say it gets out of the groove or something but i do a lot of uh, cardio and strength training if we were to throw you into any sport right now, like what would you be good at based upon your motocross training or your motor sport training? Would it have to be another motorsports? <laughs> Maybe dirt bikes. <laughs> <laughs> dirt bikes. Okay. I was just, I, I'm always curious cause I'm a, I'm a fitness coach. And sometimes I think uh -huh. about like, Oh, if we, if we threw a soccer player into the pool, would they be good at that? Probably not. But like, I, I sometimes I think about, if, if you could transfer athletes to other sports, because I don't know if you know, I mean, you're Jamaican, um, but yes. Usain Bolt is playing oh soccer gosh. now he in Australia. like it's nothing. <laughs> oh, he can do whatever he wants now. Yeah. But it was fun. I'm... It was fun watching him in Australia for the small pro team playing forward. Mm -hmm. And he's just very lanky and tall running everywhere. Yeah, it's really funny to watch, but <laughs> he's living his dream, you know. He is. <laughs> But, and do you remember when um, Michael Jordan, he didn't make a good transition when he went to baseball? No, he did not. He did not. So, <laughs> yeah. So it just, I guess it just, I don't know if it depends on the sport or, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Um, so you're working with uh, Go Girl Go right now. Uh, and, you know, you're promoting motorcycle you know, and other motorsports uh, among mm -hmm. young girls, correct? Yes. Yeah. I'm curious and as to... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, I'm curious. No, it's okay. Uh, I'm curious as to um, what 
motorsports can teach young girls as opposed to other sports that most girls do soccer basketball whatever i think there's something unique there but i'm wondering what your perspective is on that with all the other sports well they're both team sports but i guess with motorsports you have a, a team behind you but it it um you have a team working with you, but it's up to the individual to, you know, take, you know, what the team's done and show the effort to where, you know, um, we're a team sport. Everyone's working at the same time, uh, like, you know, if it's soccer, volleyball, where, um, you know, um, in motorsports, you do have a team behind you, but they're preparing the motorcycle, the car, and it's you who has to, you know get this vehicle or, or this motorcycle down the track at, you know, after what, you know, the team has done. It's, it's up to you. Yeah. And are, are you finding that there are more and more girls who are just interested in motorsports in general since you first started? Yeah, I do. Um, and I see a lot of, uh, um, um, even more in the pro stock motorcycle category. I see where they're they're coming up and and not only wanting to be racers, but there's some that are, you know, working like on the mechanical side. And then, you know what? I do see it in in the in the fuel cars, too, where I see more women, you know, working on the race team, doing like the clutches or whatnot or, um, you know, doing some kind of tuning. So that that's exciting. Because I, yeah, I know, for, you know, right, when I was younger, it was like, oh, a girl on a motorcycle or a girl who can, who works on a, on, on cars or, or motorcycle, that's not cool. And it's like, well, it kind of is. <laughs> but back then, it, it wasn't. <laughs> you were considered a tomboy. <laughs> oh, man, <And> that, <laughs> the tomboy. Yeah. And then, you know, that's, you know, um something that, you know, I, I tell the girls, you know, if I told you without seeing, you know, my uh, racing gear, what I was, would you believe me? And they're like, no, <laughs> we think that, you know, they, they wouldn't think motorcycle drag racer. I mean, it, it the word tomboy, like I, <laughs> I mean, I loved, I loved it growing up, frankly. Yeah. Um, some people really don't like that word because, you know, it means some sort of lost sense of femininity that you right. should have and what should you have. It's like a really interesting term. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, you know, and I, I tell the girls, I still, you know, I like getting my hair done and nails and doing my makeup. But, you know, just because I don't, you know, wear it all the time, you know, doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, make a difference otherwise. I said it, it shouldn't, you know, you should, shouldn't be embarrassed by it. Yeah. I think it's that we're in a really interesting time, um, just in America's climate in terms of mm -hmm. what it means to be a woman. Um, right. Just a lot of people, you know, really recognizing themselves for who they are and really embracing it and really you know, sticking up for themselves. Um, exactly. And I, I just feel like we're going to see more women in what was before surprising places. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just a really exciting time. Definitely. Definitely. Like my image of what like it 
meant to be a biker or whatever it's just like in those hollywood movies with like the gangs and like the leather jackets and the beards and they always had like women on the back of the bike and my dad always told me you're never going to be one of those women on the back of a bike you're not in control blah 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 all this stuff so i just kind of wrote it off (laughs) and i was changing (laughs) It definitely changing. And I was the same way. I'm like the only motorcycle or the back of the bike I'm going to be is with my dad and no one else. But, you know, it's like, yes, you can still be cute and frilly. And you know what? Yeah, I drag race motorcycles too, by the way. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are so layered and complex as humans. Um, yeah. So... Final question. We always wrap up with uh, with this, um, but we're obviously called the Rule Breakers podcast, and usually rule breakers are not uh, alive in a vacuum in the sense that somebody else who also broke some rules, and in, in the sense of like you know making progress in society by being somebody that no one expected them to be, um, <laughs> inspired you or have a rule breaker to do their thing and so i'm wondering who who really inspired you uh like besides your dad because we know your dad was mm-hmm. your biggest one of your biggest influences if there was a woman out there doesn't have to be motorsports <laughs> that really pulled you forward um in your life and maybe even today as well um i think i'd have to go back into with the motorsports um um with shirley Muldowney. Because she was the first woman of, of drag racing and just, you know, to see her um, racing, you know, against all the men. And um, I remember watching the movie that they did on her and, and all the um, the backlash that, that she got. But she still kept on, you know, trudging forward. And, uh, um, and then I would have to say... Um, Angel, Stephanie, and Karen that um, in NHRA Pro Stock Motorcycle because there were no women. And, you know, they were kind of getting kind of the same, you know, uh, a flack. Um, they weren't welcomed at first, but, you know, they blazed the trail. Yeah. And for any woman who wants to get into any motorsport, um, what's the best advice you could give them? The best advice I could give them is to um, um, is to stay determined. Don't give up because you're going to have setbacks. Um, but don't give up. Awesome. Well, Peggy, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was a real pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Time to recap. So she is pretty amazing, and it sounds like you know she had a lot of support growing up, and and a lot of guidance from her father to help her get into this space. And that he didn't just like hand her the keys and be like, "All right, here, go do this." Like he made her be really involved with the process of being a drag racer. Yeah, I mean, like I said in the podcast, it made me think a lot about my dad and him showing me cars and stuff. And I don't know, there's just like a lot of, I think there's a lot of fathers stepping up in our generations, like really showing their daughters the ropes. And it's really encouraging to see. It is cool to see. And um, obviously, too, 
his support and it sounds like too her family did end up collectively getting behind her and supporting her led her to be the first woman of color to win a professional drag racing race and you brought up an interesting point of what it means to be the first and something and the pressure that can come with that or if that's even something that maybe she was aware of when she won. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was in the background. I feel like for a lot of these athletes, it might be in the background, but like from interviews that I've had with some athletes, like, you know, they're just doing the thing. They're so focused on the process that when these things happen, they're like, oh, wait, okay. Like, you know, like I, like you said, the pressure to become the first would be so for me anyways, so overwhelming that just to focus on that instead of like the passion that I have for my sport or my craft or whatever would be more so for me the driving factor to achieve. Yeah, uh, when I was younger, when I first started playing golf, I wanted to be the first woman to qualify to play on the PGA Tour. and I actually found a note not too long ago that I had written myself when I was like eight or nine years old specifying that very thing. Um, but I wonder in retrospect if putting that kind of weight on myself added pressure that I didn't even realize was there just making that the goal rather than just focusing on being the best that I could be so that I could eventually get there rather than that being the thing that was driving me. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, like, who is being, like, having that goal of being the f- first, like, who is it for? Is it is it for you? Or is it for, you know, being in the history books for other people to read? I don't know. It's like, sometimes I think about when it comes to goals, like, obviously, like, we live in a society with expectations and, you know, competitions and stuff. But, like, when you're more driven by, like, that exterior, like, you know, celebration rather than just internally, I'm just doing the thing because it feels good sort of thing. And I don't know, there's like a delicate balance, I think, because you can't, ex- and when you're in competition, you can't escape the the external pressures. Right, and if you always feel like maybe you're having to prove something, I think that can take away the joy from whatever it is that you're wanting to be the best in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, I, the other thing that you talked about, too, was the the acceptance around the word tomboy or the reception that people or women have to being called a tomboy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I loved being called a tomboy, actually, um, but I know not everybody feels the same. I, I don't know. I, I can't even remember really a time when I was called a tomboy growing up. I mean, I was – golf is not really the most <laughs> – hardcore sport where you know it was something where you'd be assigned that but I I think of my niece a lot she's she's five but she loves rolling around in the mud loves playing sports and doesn't mind getting dirty and messed up but then she also on the flip side loves to wear frilly dresses and will get into my makeup bag and put makeup on herself because she likes sparkles and bright colors and so I think there's more of an acceptance around it now and showing like where we're, we're looking at fem- women in sports specifically as not like either you're a tomboy 
and you're not into feminine things at all or you're a girly girl that people can kind of coexist in the middle yeah no I I definitely agree that we're seeing that I mean we're talking about earlier about putting people in boxes that it's really not it's really not about that at all like there's an infinite amount of expressions to you know a human existence so like why limit it to like oh I can only you know have the frills and not the mud you know like frills in mud is cool too (laughs) right and it just makes people more interesting when you allow them to you know weave in and out of certain spaces rather than being like you're this and you're that yeah no it's painful (laughs) I've tried it 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 hurts don't Uh, do that to me (laughs) have you uh ever tried to be uh super girly oh yeah Last weekend. Last weekend? <laughs> I had heels on and a dress, and I put what? on eye makeup. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen you in a dress once. This was, like, yeah. black cocktail. like Nice. Uh, really high heel sort of deal. Um, as high as they could go for me. It's not that high. But, um, yeah, no, I felt like playing a part. Not, like, playing a part in what society might expect me to do, but, like, costume. Like, this was, like, me... <laughs> being the other side of me that wanted to express itself that was all doesn't happen often but it's there i want to see pictures of this oh yeah and video of you walking in heels oh yeah no i don't have that (laughs) (laughs) all right guys that was our last episode of rule breakers i know you're crying right now (laughs) well i'm really grateful adele that you took this journey with me and I know that you have some stuff that you're working on. If you want to tell people what you're going to be up to in the next few months. Sure. Uh, I will still be writing for the Shadow League. I have a column called Black Girl Strength, and um, we're experimenting with that, so that's exciting. Um, And, yeah, uh, video content, podcast stuff, everything. And you're doing a lot more public speaking now, too, which is really cool to see you on all these panels yeah, I'll be going to Texas in April. Ooh, Texas. Uh-huh. Tejas. Yeah, Tejas. <laughs> uh, as for myself, I uh, had a documentary that just came out with CBS Sport called Althea and Arthur, which is about Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe. I launched a podcast with the LPGA called Talk Birdie to Me. And if you're into public radio and television, I will be – a weekly contributor on BBC today talking about things all golf related. So staying a little bit busy. <laughs> yeah, we're both really busy. And again, yeah, thank you, Anya, for having me on. It's been a pleasure working on this with you. Thank you, Adele. Appreciate it. And thanks for everyone again for tuning in. And go break some rules. <laughs> Bye, guys. Please like, listen, and subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes.